Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is us, the Blood Force Gamers. Well, half of us. I'm half the man I used to be. It's because you're shrinking. I... Yeah. It is I, your host, Game Goblin, sitting with my co-host, Darth Blasphemous. Hail to the dark side. Who's decided to whip out the short jokes early today. You know... I'm not sitting on a phone book for a change. No, you just have your chair at maximum height. So what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to have fun today. I need to see my computer monitor, you know. True. All right. But uh, today's kind of impromptu. Bit of scheduling issues, you know, having to be out of town. Real life aggro. Real life things. Uh, so it's just the two of us today, and we have decided to bring up a topic that is very near and dear to our dear goblins, Black Tiny Heart. It's a topic we haven't covered on the podcast yet in three years. Eh, we've alluded to it. Intro. Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Okay, well, today's topic that's near and dear to heart that we should have done before the intro is we're going to talk about how to destroy your GM's game and try to get away with it. And there's plenty of great stories on, like, Reddit and, you know, Discord people have gone off on some things. And it, it's something that, as GMs, we always constantly fight with is how do we keep someone from destroying our game? And as players, we're like... I don't want to destroy this game because it's fun, but some people like me do it because we're idiots. And I just do it because, well, I can be a jackass at times. Easy. And there's other times where I just look at something and I'm looking at the rulebook and I'm like, oh my god, this is possible. Can I sneak this in? And of course, once I do sneak it in, the GM just looks at me like, never again, dude. Oh yeah, and I mean, it can be great stuff, it can be little stuff, but if you find a way... You can obliterate entire games, whether the party's against you or not. Well, uh, just pop it, dude. Like, one of my favorite feats to have for a thematic purpose is pop it's. Mm-hmm. But from a power gaming point uh, standpoint, a point of view there, you look at pop it's and you're just like, holy fuck, there's no limit on how many of these things you can build. You can clear-cut an entire fucking force and have a portable army following you around everywhere you go. And then when you hit a higher level, you can just keep going and just make them flying, invisible, horrible little monstrosities. And, of course, they're not supposed to be built for combat, but their combat utility in the background is that a a second-string support personnel is just off the fucking charts. Make them into a mortar team. And, yeah, when we were talking about Reddit, I looked up uh, some forum threads on Reddit. I looked up forum threads on... God, what was it? Gamers.net or some shit. You know, I was just looking up all of these different ones. And every one of them, like, what use is Poppets for? And one guy even went out. He's like, I don't see the combat capabilities of Poppets. They seem to be more like little helpers. And I'm like, duh, that's what they're written as. But still, it's easy to turn those little helpers into little devils. Dude. Well, you know, just take my idea or anybody's idea, really, because a bunch of people do have their own variants on portable explosives. Mm-hmm. Right, like you've got the the one with holy water inside of a glass sphere, and I've got the one that makes that look like fucking chump change. I'm not whipping out my dick and slapping it on the table here, but orbital nukes for fuck's sake! 
Yeah, but I'm trying not to destroy this campaign, because just by taking two of your ideas as a cleric, I could wipe out the entire demon horde in a week. No shit. And, and the fun part is, you take these, uh... You take the, uh... Well, then again, it's 5e. It is 5e. I have yet to figure out how to fully break the rules of 5e just yet, but that's because I have no interest in 5e. That's me personally. But you take the... the the portable explosives, and you just strap one to your poppet and let them go Allahu Akbar on your enemy. Basically. You're only out 200 gold pieces, and once you start getting way high up in levels, 200 gold pieces is chump change. Yeah, that's like... It's like your tab at a bar at that point, you know. It is. How much is it going to cost to get a one room? 200 gold. Well, I remember when these were five silver, but psh, no matter. I've got the cash. And just... The crazy shit you can do, you can, like, make a, a total sneaky, sneaky poppet. You know, you arm this guy up with, like, all the sneaky gear, and you give him a bunch of little items. Basically, a little poppet in a ghillie suit when all said and done. And then you hand this guy, like, a stick of dynamite and say, just stand behind the bar and make sure nobody sees you, and it'll detonate that at midnight. And they'll do it. Yeah. And they'll just totally, out of the black bar, right behind the bar counter, boom! That's for charging me 200 gold pieces to stay in your room tonight. I just sacrificed 200 more gold pieces to show you my disappointment. Exactly. And even then, you just walk away laughing. Yeah, it and is. And um, poppets are only one of the accoutrements that you have told me about to break games. Yeah, well, breaking games, uh, to get all power gaming on it, you've, you've got the, this typical power gamer. You know, uh, I could mention a name here, but we will just say Blackie. <laughs> and he is, he is a by-the-math kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of his builds are by the math. He looks up how the math works within the specific build, and it plays on that. But they have their own weakness in that own right, and then you've got the guys on the other side who are all creative-based. Mm -hmm. And they look at just pulling the most off-the-wall bullshit that nobody else really will conceive. It's like those magic players who pull a combo out of their ass that nobody else realizes is there. It rarely works, but when it does... Also it's Blackie. Also Blackie. To a degree. Actually, oh, there's other guys. He helped me with some crazy ass combos back in the day. Like uh, I had one. It was a white blue fish deck, but it wasn't Merfolk. I literally just pulled out the giant crack, or no, it wasn't even a kraken, a giant sea monster that made it so that nothing could attack because nothing else had flying. And then I would just wail on people with that because it was like an eight eight. I mean, the only thing that deck is missing if you got a giant whale that's just, for lack of better words, wailing on people, is you also need a potted plant. Yeah. Yeah, so the potted plant could say, oh no, not again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. These days it'd say, I am Groot. No, I'm going back to the classics there. I Sorry. know. Sorry. I know. And the, you got the, you got these uh, two different diametric oppositions. And of course, you got the rules lawyer, and they've been more towards the mathematical power gamer aspect. Mm -hmm. It's all about the rules, rules as written. And then you got the creative guys who are rules as intended. You know, the rules are intended to do this. This is how we got one group. They came up with the idea that holy oil mixed with unholy oil would cause a explosive Explosion. reaction. Yeah. You know, they were going rules as intended instead of rules versus written. Because rules as written, that would never happen. The, the oil of desecration and the oil of blessing would just pool and lose their potency as they collide. But the but, rules as intended guys were going, no, we're going to go nuclear! Basically, it's matter and antimatter at that point. Negative energy and positive energy, it, it's going to react. Well, this is how we wanted to build our uh, paladin-antipaladin reactor. So we take a paladin and an antipaladin and put them really close to each other before they hit critical mass. 
and then put them in the reacti reaction chamber so the holy and unholy energy would be reacting off these two as they spin around each other at hyper speeds, and we'd be able to power an entire city off these two just stuck in a chamber. Just sitting in a chair for like eight hours a day. Oh, no, they would be spinning. He's spinning, but they're you, still because to generate energy, uh, to generate electricity, they would need to actually have a spin around the focal point, and the focal point is uh, where the critical mass would be between their two center of masses. So yeah, they'd be it, yeah. I can just imagine the sounds of it. I hate this city. Feeling so sick. <laughs> Now imagine if you had like 20 of these guys, right, on each side, and you just had them run in shifts on these reactors. You had two reactors, one would all be running while the other one was off, and then you get the other one running so those guys could take a break, throw up, what have you. Exactly. Well, the, the way the reactor was built, nobody gets a break, but, you know, we want perpetual energy here. That's what magic is for. But then when they die, I don't believe your remains are holy. Die? Oh, no, we have safety interlocks to keep that from happening. Oh, really? Yeah, well, we don't want the paladin and anti-paladin to get too close to each other, nor do we want them too far away from each other. And, of course, they do suffer th from things like aging and the need to eat and stuff like that. Well, there's extra magical items to take care of that, too. So you basically put, like, a ring of sustenance on each one of them so they no longer have to eat. Then you also give them the brooch that allows them to breathe without air. That way, while they're spinning, the air isn't sucked out of their lungs. Yeah, they just keep slapping on a few magical items. Eventually, you know, from the equipment you put on these guys, you have a perpetual motion machine. Okay. <clears throat> and probably a very unhappy divine being and a very unhappy not-so-divine being. We're like, this is the way it's supposed to work. And you're like, aha, science! <laughs> We're sciencing here! Yeah. I mean, that that's some of the fun shit I've heard you talk about. And for me... I've destroyed games by just being the dumb guy, as everyone heard about, or everyone who listens heard about on our um, Spokane, Spokane event. But um, but yeah, it, it breaking a game as a GM, I'm always worried about it. Like, especially when I had Blackie at the table, rolling up stuff, and his wife Nedge there, and uh, I was I was always worried that they were just going to break my game, and that's why I had you there as a counterbalance. Well, the, the thing, the funny part you mentioned about that is I've also broken games by playing completely by the rules. Mm -hmm. Not power gaming, but just playing by the rules as written. We were doing a Dark Sun Athos game, 2nd edition Dungeons & Dragons, and there's this part in the module where the, you know, this uh, bell would go off, and during the time that bell goes off to the next time the bell goes off, the exchange of money for weapons in the city was disallowed. Mm -hmm. You couldn't buy any swords, you couldn't buy knives, you couldn't buy daggers, no slings, nothing. And we're playing at a game store, and the bell goes off in the module, and we're continuing to play, and then this guy comes up to me and he pulls the shady marketeer thing, he's like, hey, you want to buy this iron sword? Well, this is Athos, dude. Real metal? Holy shit! Of course I want that sword. It's made of real metal. Yeah. And so I go ahead and I buy the sword off this dude. Next thing I know, like, the town guard are all over my ass. And they're like, you've committed a crime and you must be tried. And I'm like, you're right. I did. I apologize for this crime. I realize there's nothing I can say for myself. And you've caught me. I submit. And I held up my hands, you know, for them to throw the fucking manacles on. And the GM is like sitting there, he looks at the module, he looks at me, he goes, you realize you might be executed for this. And I'm like, well, breaking my word in the face that I follow, 
is a taboo. Mm-hmm. I must make recompense for this so I can go off to eternal paradise. Yeah. So even if I am killed by your law, your law does not judge my soul eternally, and I must abide by the laws of my deity. Mm-hmm. They're like, um, 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 you, um, you, you uh, um, uh. Because <laughs> the choice at that point was, of course, you know, stab them or run, or stab them then run, not give yourself up and go to a trial. <laughs> Exactly, and now the GM's got to run a trial. Now that yeah, he didn't want to run a trial, so he just made it so our characters had to run. He basically just like shoehorned my character into running away. But then in the same game, because the paladin he died horribly, because mm-hmm. uh, I was playing him as a paladin should by the the codex written in the book, not just by playing by alignment, but by the uh, you know a paladin will always be truthful. A paladin must be valorous. A paladin must be brave. Help the needy. All these things. And, of course, in Dark Sun, it just got me fucking killed. So my next character comes in, and I'm playing a, a Thrycreen. And one of the bug people. Mm-hmm. And here's, a, and of course, stupidity, right? We uh, take on this pack of elves. And it turns out, I didn't even know it, but I'm looking through the Thrycreen stuff as I'm playing. Because I'm a brand new player at this point, and I'm pretty much brand new to Athos. So I'm reading up on the whole Thrycreen backgrounds, and I'm like, oh, they eat elves, and elves are considered a delicacy. Mm-hmm. Well, we just killed a shitload of elves, and I took a whole bunch of damage, and I go, hey, GM, if I eat the elves, would it would I um, get some hit points back from this? You know, basically, I'm stocking up on protein after a big battle, and the GM, you know, he goes, okay, fine, you know, roll 1d4, you get that many hit points back. Well, the elves had a slave captive with them, so I'm like, hey, food on the go! <laughs> so I just grab their slave and we walk off, me and the mule. And next thing we know, there's a bunch of elves down below uh, in the valley. You know, we're up on in a cave and they're just down below in the ravine. I want to say valley, but it was actually a ravine. And they're screaming at us, you know, hey, you know, we followed the footprints here and you kidnapped the elven princess. And the mule looks over at me and I look at the mule. And I'm like, and he's like, I believe the person you're eating right now is the princess we're supposed to have uh, rescued. Because oh. we, when we were up in the cave camping out, I was trying to get more hit points back, so food on the go. We just camped out, and I was eating the plot device. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I mean, definitely destroying a major plot device is something that I worry about. And I've seen people destroy games by making magic items that are more powerful than the MacGuffin magic item you're supposed to be hunting down. I did not do that in your games yet. No, you didn't do that. That would happen in one of my buddy's games. Um, we'll just call him the uh, rainbow-haired elf. <laughs> Anyone who knows us will know him. Um, so he uh, he was running a game, which was a really cool setup. He It was basically a legacy game. He was the second GM to run it. And the player characters just decided to break the game because of one guy who I don't allow to play in any of my games and don't ever want to. Because he literally just decided to make magic items that were more powerful than the one they had to hunt down, and now the whole plot device is dead. And the story can move on, but what's the point? You know? That's why when I do a MacGuffin game, they are artifacts. They are ungodly powerful when put together but individually they're meh well the the crazy part about that and i notice it's not in 5e it's definitely not in 4e to the extent that it was previously but in 3.0 3.5 and pathfinder and the derivatives thereof 
because that's a, a really good system. The Craft Wondrous item feat is perhaps, in my opinion, one of the most powerful feats ever invented. Yeah. And the, the weird part is, it goes back to rules as intended versus rules as written. Or rules as written versus rules as intended. If you take it as intended, it's thematic as fuck. It is one of the best goddamn feats you can have for any game. It is great. You got a guy who wants to be an Aquaman ripoff, but, you know, you're still landlubbers at level three, whatever, but he still wants that goddamn trident where he can throw it and it returns and all shit. You know, with uh, Craft Wonders item and Craft weapons and armor, that's pretty much all you need. And you can do almost any theme build for your character. We had a guy in second edition, he would always go for the Thor thing. We had another guy who was always a six-foot-tall, red-skinned samurai womanizer. Mm -hmm. And you take Craft Wondrous Item, and you're like, okay, so you're playing a ripoff of Raiden? Here you go. Here's a tanker that's always full of sake. Yeah. You know, you, oh, you're playing Thor? Well, here's a uh, chest plate, and we're just going to add on to it that whenever you're in combat, it adds lightning effects to it, and anybody who hits you takes 1d4 of electricity damage. Not much, but it's... Not okay. much, but it gives that, that thematic feel. And then you got guys who look at the rules, and they're like... Wait a minute, I can nuke an entire city by level 5. If I just add this plus this, combine it with that, take a few negatives over here, put it in the hands of my little poppet, and let that little shit run off in the horizon. And that's definitely the thing, is when you look at it, the the core books, especially, have a lot of this, where you could break the game with just that. And I've learned this from talking to you about builds and how to run my campaigns, is when you sit down and decide to build, if you put the right elements together, you just made gunpowder. If you put the right stuff together, you have a nuke. If you put the right stuff together, you can nuke a kingdom with an ICBM by 7th level and think nothing of it. 5th level? 5th level. I can I, nuke a city by 5th level. Yeah. I can destroy the galaxy by 7th level. That's what it was. Yeah. Well, well not, I don't know. what. How big is a supernova? Not that big in galactic scale. Okay, so I can just wipe out your solar system and whatever's nearby it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you get into the galaxy's core and, you know, do this to the black God. hole at the center. Okay, now I'm feeling a challenge coming on here where I have to learn how to destroy an entire fucking galaxy. Basically, if oh, you All can... the XP is mine. <laughs> <laughs> I even killed the gods. Now I am the only god. I will collapse all the black holes together so that there's a time wound and all the XP from all the previously killed. Before I even came along, all those previous kills, now I get the XP for them too. Just a big time wound. Well, time wound would be a thing, but if you could possibly get a black hole and a white hole put together, infinite power from that, and then you collapse it. The problem, though, is white holes are still theoretical. Theoretical for now. They're, they're theoretical for now. And under the current scientific auspice of what they do, it's going to be theoretical for a while. Yeah. Uh, just don't, don't, uh, science, science, uh, brain hurt. And to the other side of that, there are people who break games by simply playing by real life thought instead of fantasy thought. Like, of course, our player who decided to play everything like he was military as he was and it not working because these are a bunch of, you know... That, that's actually a really good point, uh, sir. Yeah. It is. They they don't know how to do these things. It's not in their thought process. How are you going to convince them to do it? Well, it, we, we did this in a D&D game way back when uh, Great Escape Games, mm -hmm. also known as Greatest Rape Games, because what they did to the customer base is still unforgivable. Yeah. Uh, we, we did a game there, and it was true to self. 
mm-hmm. all the other players, all the people in the group knew each other, and, you know, it was like, hey, Dom, you've got a constitution of 11, not quite mm-hmm. a 12, but you get up super early, you work fucking badass hours, yeah, we'll give you a constitution of 11 that's slightly above normal, but your dexterity's gonna be shit, you're gonna be around a 9. Mm-hmm. You're a bit heavy, and I've seen you walk down a stairway, so you're... You're on average, but you're pretty close to an eight. Yeah. All right. And we do this all around the table. Everybody got their stats awarded to them by everybody else. And apparently I have a charisma of like 14. I don't see how, but okay. I rolled with it. And we used real life knowledge for our characters. We had one guy who was a construction uh, dude who used to build houses. And he went up. <laughs> Weird noises. Weird noises. Yeah, I just... I, that was that pizza coming back up to haunt me. Yeah, well, pizza, hey, pizza. Just, hey, this, this is awesome because the pizza gurgling up in my throat at this exact moment while I'm describing this, actually, it, it, bicycle full circle. <laughs> this is awesome because the guy who was a construction dude, he went out and became a cobbler. One of the other gentlemen, uh, he was a writer by trade, and he had a normal office job where he filed shit all the time. So he became a clerk mm-hmm. in the D&D world where he was just scribing shit and doing the exact same thing in D&D that he did in real life. And I'm just a kid, you know, I'm like fucking shit. I was like I was 17 at the time, maybe 18. And I was like, "All right. Here we go, full circle. I had just quit working at Pizza Hut." <laughs> and so I I go into like one of these bars and I'm like, "Hey, if you give me uh, some oregano and you give me some garlic and some tomatoes, and cheese, I can make a new meal item for you that will sell like hotcakes, man. Like I'm talking like two silver a slice. <laughs> that's a that's a room. That's a room, right? And so yeah, I went to, and we worked out. You know, this is what this was our real life person uh, people, our personality personalities in real life into the game. There was no problem with it whatsoever because we could use our real life knowledge mm-hmm. to better ourselves in that. We also had a game of rifts where a guy, he was former military, he was a radar technician. Yeah. Uh, and he played an unskilled vagabond in rifts. And an unskilled vagabond is actually kind of funny because it is actually a skill-based class. Yeah. They call you unskilled, but you're basically a jack-of-all-trades. Mm-hmm. You're not a specialist. He's not a specialist, but he applied his knowledge from the military uh, when it came to... I want to detonate an a, a item over there because he also did study some demolitions. Mm-hmm. So his unskilled vagabond, he picked and chose the skills to represent some of his real-life skills so he could transfer some of his real-life knowledge over. But then, yeah, like you were just saying, you got to do his military currently, and he is employing military tactics into a fantasy setting with nothing to back it up. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, these guys are basically federal enforcers. But when you're doing this, these are you know plebeians these are people who they wake up every morning to plow a field or go out and you know hunt they they aren't gonna be used to oh i need you to sit here and spy on this when they're like i could be over there taking care of my field right now i gotta do all this watering i gotta do this and that and they're just sitting there watching a place they're not gonna be happy with that they're not gonna do a good job because they're like eh, i got recruited into this you know they didn't have a choice and uh, it just ended up almost breaking the game because it was on this kick for the whole mission and they almost didn't get the target if it wasn't for the rest of the crew pulling their own weight and doing stuff you know fantasy style which was the world which was how things ran you know you can't go and take modern thought process and apply it to the middle ages 
I know, I'm a bad person. Mm. Well, I, I like when we go into the example of, you know, my orbital bombardment machines, that is applying real-world knowledge. Yeah. To a degree, but I also mix it with magic to a copious amount, because my targeting parameters would be completely shot. You know, it's great to have a, a, a 24 ICBM platform in space between here and the moon, where I have all the shit to, you know, call an orbital strike on my enemy. The problem is, though, and a lot of people don't realize this, but it only works off of one item. And if I don't build that one item in game, the orbital platform is shit. It's just wasted money floating around in space. Yeah. There's one small item I have to build. It's like super cheap, but without that, the whole thing falls apart. But if I build that with one thing, then it's basically me involving my real life knowledge of how to do an orbital strike on somebody and make it actually hit. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, I've done that. Uh, there was actually the one character I did, I was not applying real-world knowledge to it, but it was still funny. Game-breaking as shit. And the look on Eric's face. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm, like, I'm sitting there and I'm just launching away magic missiles. I'm like, I could do this all day. And he's like, how many of those you got? And I'm like, infinite. And he's like, how? It's just think outside the bun, man. Taco Bell this shit. Mm -hmm. uh, but that character then you will have magic missile diarrhea for all your life. But the the irony is though is that character the way I was doing the build on him and it was thematic as shit because it was basically like all these little power crystals embedded into his skin. But I was actually working off of not Farscape. I love Farscape, but not Farscape. Uh, Stargate. Mm -hmm. My technology was based off of Stargate. He had a Nakuna crystal embedded in his hand to power the magic item. That's why he could do it all day is because the item had an infinite uh, power source just for shooting magic missiles. There you go. If I took the item off, the item would not have worked. And he still had the Nakuna crystal in case he put another item onto his hand. It was basically a power glove. <laughs> <laughs> so I was using Stargate technology on that one. Well, you could honestly also say that it was uh, Marvel technology because you were like Iron Man. You had the battery in your chest anyways. Yeah, like all those stuns he implanted in his skin were just miniature batteries to uh, power up magic items when he applied them to his own person. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the great things. Just making small things that can break a game like... A communication device can really break a game. Yeah, communication devices, oh my god, dude. How many times have people put message in a bead that you put it in your ear? Or the earrings I had uh, custom made for the game because they, you guys needed it to solve a puzzle. Some, yeah, exactly. Uh, so many groups turn into SWAT teams when you include the ability to communicate on demand over distance. Mm-hmm. You know, just you got the rogue somewhere da further down in the tunnel. It's like, all right, where are you, nasty butler? <laughs> I hear you, Red Rooster. I'm about three clicks away from the enemy. You know, just like, wow. They do. They turn into SWAT teams so fast. Yeah, and I mean, I've been accused because as, as a GM, you can break a game by not meaning to. There was one story I'd read recently, and I know it's an old one, but uh, the GM was basically headed out for one of his players and That's made a poison that would leave you at 1d4 hit points if you made the save. So... Everyone else, you know, they go through this dungeon. He almost <clears throat> dies. He survives. They make it to the end. Well, he ends up poisoning everybody uh, <clears throat> and is with the GM's own creation to try and get the uh, assassin. Was to give him a poison that was super powerful. Didn't work. Assassin survives. Goes and kills the rest of the party because they decide to start fucking with him because they know what side their bread is buttered on, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, stuff like that, the GM can easily do it. Like, I've been, 
I've been told it'll break the game because I include that whole if you break a magic item all its charges go off so I included a safety feature where basically it's either gonna be poof magic sparkles or it will actually be the oh that wand of fireball you broke yeah it had nine charges so nine charges of fireball go off yeah that face. is game breaking as fuck I mean even a simple item uh, one of my favorites actually that is still an unsung hero mm. there are so many unsung heroes that have weaponizable purposes yeah and one of my favorites is actually the ever-burning globe Mm -hmm. uh, slash ever burning torch. You, the way you got your game set up is if I take one of those and find just like hit my ever burning torch on the ground hard enough it'll explode. Mm -hmm. Just I, I can weaponize a item that has, has an illusion enchantment put on it, and I just put it in a situation where it will get destroyed next to somebody and do it enough damage to be basically a fireball. Well, it no, just, that's the thing is if it was an illusionary device like say it had alter self or something, right? And it goes off, then it's gonna randomly alter the nearest X creatures, right? Okay. Well, still, it's, it can be weaponized as fuck. Yeah. Even even like that, even with illusion, it alters X amount of people around it. I can build a honey cluster bomb, throw that into a town, and if we need a distraction, I'll just detonate it remotely. Next thing you know, half the townspeople don't look like townspeople. Panic breaks out, and we can do a jailbreak. Mm-hmm. You know, just. You can weaponize that ability so readily. It's it is game breaking. Oh yeah, and I mean, and you got players like me who will weaponize that shit. That's I'm not the counterbalance. I am the line. Okay, I'm the line in the sand. That this is how far a power gamer should go. If somebody tries to go to my levels, you know they're going too far. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when you got a guy who's like, I want to drop a meteor made of meat on the opponent. It's time to rethink the power level of the magic items in your game. Mm -hmm. And yes, I will drop a meteor meat. I've got the build to do it. Um. And that's the fun thing with having a world with active gods is they can just show up and be like, I call a council of the gods and we're going to change this. And then like three more gods show up and boom. Well, there's also the other counterbalance. And I remember this both as a player and a GM. And it's one of those things, you know, when I am breaking the game, and if I, say, build the infinite supply of flamethrowers, mm -hmm. how long is it going to take before somebody scribes it on me and sees me making one and decides to replicate that and start making their own Chinese knockoffs? There's a, there's always the rule of escalation, and no matter mm -hmm. how powerful your character gets, there's always somebody else out there who goes, how can I do that? Mm -hmm. And so if I build an orbital ICBM platform, I'm only going to use that one time. One time, because once people know that a fucking thing exists, I can't build anymore without changing the just the, the, the entire geography of the world and the political structure. Yeah. The way the gods are going to react all the way down to the lowest of fiefdoms are going to react to 24 missiles detonating 6,000 fireballs at the same time on one castle. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's going to take notice of that and say, How's it done? They're going to find out it's me, eventually. Somebody is going to follow the God of Knowledge, or they're going to cast the right spell, or Arcane Eye, and I will be living under police state levels of surveillance for the rest of my life in a fantasy setting Yeah. while they try to figure out how I built this fucking thing. So when you build something that big, you can't use it over and over and over and over. You've got to keep your power levels low-key. You can't just go, over 9,000 every yeah. day. Because that's how you end up with stuff like in the Dragon Ball universe, where the whole world was almost destroyed, and then they really had a hard time with superpowered beings. Yeah, it's just um, when you're when you're trying to break the game. And actually, I'm going to reveal that build right now, just to anybody who's listening, as to how to build. And this is low level power gaming, but it's still power gaming as fuck. 
So if you look in Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition, uh, AD and D, they reveal right there that the decanter of endless water draws its water supply infinitely from the plane of water. Mm -hmm. Which also, if you want to destroy the world in ten thousand years, you just build a shitload of decanters of endless water, open it up, throw it overboard. Great. Also, one of my favorite unsung heroes because when you have it uh, blasting water out at full volume. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, they actually put the stats in there, and it's crazy. It's the equivalent to a fire hose, so around 300 PSI. Yeah. This is enough to peel bricks apart from each other or launch people away. So if you need an escape item, you just flip that fucker upside down, pop the top, and be like, full blast, and just rock it away uncontrolled, because, you know, you don't have the proper aerodynamics. But it's a get out of, you know, or you just attach one to the bottom of a boat. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you turn that fucker on, and you don't have to row anymore. Exactly. It's an unsung hero, because it has so many other utility purposes outside of what it's designed for. However, when you are drawing from the plane of water, all you need to do is change the core spells. You take the core spell, you know, create water, and you just switch that one out to create fire. Or create wind. And if you're playing somebody who's like a druid and you uh, add in like summon nature's ally, then you have infinite bees for everybody. But when you want to build it, you build a decanter of endless water as you normally would. Swap out the core spell of create water, which creates water. Really, it doesn't. It just pulls water out of the plane of uh, water. And you just get planar with this. And instead of pulling from the plane of water, you pull from like, say, one of the demi planes. Ready. Where it's uh, stone and fire. Mm-hmm. And now you have a 300 PSI launching magma launcher. A handheld lava device. Lava at that point. Lava right? at that point. You know, just magma is more fun to say. But yeah, you got a lava launcher at 300 PSI, dude. Yeah. That is an insane PSI to be launching uncompressible materials out of a tube at someone. So you're going to have an effective range, I'd say, about 50 to 75 feet. Of just lava. Of just lava hitting everything in a straight line. So all you need to do with the decanter of endless water uh, for this build, just replace the core spell water with whatever element you want to fire from. Bee cannon. You can make a bee cannon. You uh, That would be air and summon nature's ally. Mm-hmm. And you know you just summon from the eternal grove demiplane and just start summoning bees out of the tube. Because uh, basically all you're doing is transferring what plane you're pulling the uh, material from. And if you really want to be a bastard, you go for one of the evil-aligned planes to just draw the evil energy out. Or it, or if you want to be, like, again, evil-aligned planes. Yes, you can do that. Or, and I was about to mention this, you uh, just swap out Create Water for Cure Light Wounds. Mm-hmm. And now you have 300 PSI of positive energy blasting at the vampire per turn. I don't know the dice, I don't know the difficulty, I don't know the damage, because most people don't think about this. I would say it's about probably 66 of damage. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, fire hoses, man, those things hurt to get hit by. Yeah, there's a reason they use it as a quote-unquote non-lethal. Yeah, that's a, well, six fire hoses will lift a car off the ground, so... And then, like, another way to, like, you you do that, connect it to an evil plane and do, uh, what, what's the negative energy one? Inflict wounds? Yeah, inflict wounds. You just put that and you have it open and you send it out on with your zombie army. One guy has that strapped to, strapped to his, you know, chest or whatever. And just sending out all this healing energy to all the evil zombies. Exactly. That's when you really want to break the game is if you do that. I mean, shit. If I did that as a GM, 
I would feel dirty as fuck after the game is over, knowing that there's a zombie out there exuding a ray, a just... Aura. Well, it wouldn't be an aura. It'd be basically like I would strap it to like his chest in such a way that no matter where his chest is pointed, he's blasting a, a jet of negative energy it's out. This is Care Bear Stare. This is Care Bear Stare. So you get this zombie, like... Ugh. I'm just thinking like maggots just rot and gunk flying out of his chest, you know, like Fear Bear Stare. Oh, yeah. You know, Scare Bear! And just, like, he starts blasting all the zombies and skeletons around him by just constantly spinning in a circle wherever he's standing. Everybody around him per turn is getting healed 66. Mm-hmm. And you launch this undead army at your, your player characters? I would feel dirty, because every turn they might get one, but the rest of them are healed up at the end of the turn no matter what. I mean, the wizard's AoE spells would be rendered almost useless. Exactly, and then you have to attack that one, and he's right in the middle of this, what do you say, 50 feet? Uh, I would say minimum range uh, on a cannon item like that would be about 50 feet, yeah. And then you want to make it really gross. You go for, like, a zombie Goliath, basically. You know, a zombie giant. And you put, like, seven of these things that are shooting in multiple directions. Or if you really want to piss off your players, uh, you go straight to Alchemical Golem. Mm-hmm. Because and the electricity. Well, no, because an Alchemical Golem actually has a... a uh, launch, uh, rocket launcher, basically, for one arm. Mm -hmm. So you just replace the rocket launcher with a targeted beam. Mm -hmm. So wherever he just points his finger, they're getting healed. So even though, like, the big badass zombies at the front, he's just pointing at them, and they're getting healed every turn. And since it's a construct, it's immune to critical hits, just like the undead, but the cleric can't turn it. <laughs> yeah, I would feel dirty doing shit like this as a GM. As a player, I'd be like, ha ha ha, fuck your game. <laughs> But as a GM, I'd be like, oh, this is, no, this is too dirty. But see, the only time I'd bust that out is if my players made, basically, the the Cure Light Wounds, right? If they did that, and it was like, all right, I need a way to fight this. So guess what? Evil is coming up with the same thing. Because there's a spy amongst your ranks. Because someone got, what's that one? You put a, a spore in them, and they're, now you can scry through their eyes. I forget what Oh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, there's a, shit, it's like an infection... Feet spell thingy. Fuck. For, I think it's for druids. Was it? I think. Well, druids have something similar. Well, yeah, but either way, you basically just put a spy in their midst. Somehow. I put a spy on you because you're mine. Yeah, you know that that innocuous belt they took from the dungeon was a belt of uh, you know scrying for the enemy. <laughs> yeah, you could totally do that. Like enemies setting players up is a classic, and it's not power gaming. Thank the gods, even though players don't like it. There's a lot of things you could do uh, to break the game on both sides. I mean, GMs can be just as guilty as players. Oh, yeah. We, we can be just as guilty. I've done it, actually. Uh, I think the most evil one I did. I uh, And this was one of the thoughts I've had. And, you know, it's again, it's thinking outside the fucking bun. I'm, tele I'm Taco Belling this shit. I was, like, trying to come up with a good challenge for my players. I was like, ah, a flesh golem is pretty much equivalent to my group of players. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it was actually way overpowered when I was done because I looked at how much treasure that the Flesh Golem has. And I'm like, well, where is it carrying this treasure? And the dungeon scenario that I'm setting up, the Flesh Golem isn't standing next to a treasure box. Yeah. There's no kill the bad guy, get the gold, open the box, get more stuff, and then walk away happy with more XP. So where does the, where would the, uh, Flesh Golem have the treasure? I was like, fuck it, he's wearing the treasure. 
all the treasure in this encounter is being worn by the Flesh Golem. So the Ring of uh, Armor, it's wearing it. The plus three full plate armor, the Flesh Golem is wearing it. Right? The, the, the boots of levitation, like all of the items mm -hmm. that could be possibly worn or carried were on the Flesh Golem. Yeah. And this just ramped up the power factor by oh my god levels. And the, the fucked up part is it actually had a healing item on it that whenever it took physical damage, it would get healed. Mm -hmm. And the only way to bypass that damage was to do magical damage. You had to cut right through that and get straight to magical. So the wizard would just throw out these awesome spells and he was throwing out his best right off the bat and he was just chewing the shit out of the flesh golem. And then the monk would run up and be like, Floria blows! Nah. <laughs> and so, bap, 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 spending a chi point. Bap! So he'd do like four or five hits per turn, and he'd roll his dice, and then of course for every die that connected, I'm sitting on my side of the GM screen with a handful of D6s, you know, one for each time he hit, and i just roll my D6s, and the, the monk was actually slowly healing the flesh golem. Because he was he was doing like really shit for damage, and then he got to the point where he was actually healing the damage that the wizard had done. And so, yeah, this is a, a case of the GM just going, "Well, that was a great idea, but I need a I, I need to put like a ravine over here with lava in it so my players can actually win." Because they would have just been fucking decimated. There's no way a group of their level with a flesh golem that was an equal challenge base stats could take it on after I put all of the, the armor and equipment on the golem. So I'm, yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens. That happened. They they uh, they eventually. Uh, I had to um, tell my players, you know, oh yeah, when you passed by here, you know, there's a ravine off to the side. It's small and everything. And one of the guys just happened to remember it. So they basically had to go into push tactics and push the flesh golem each turn like ten feet until it fell in the ravine. They got no magic items out of it whatsoever because it was wearing all the magic items. But there was no way they could have uh, defeated that damn fucking golem. At that point, that's when you got to have your, you know, fighter or somebody start targeting limbs to remove. Uh, unfortunately, in the standard rule books for most games, mm -hmm. uh, most games do not have limb targeting. Yeah. Uh, this didn't come out until way, way late in World of Darkness 2nd mm -hmm. Edition. When they brought out the, the um, shit, it was a combat book. I can't remember the name of it right offhand, but they had special fighting techniques in that, also for disabling limbs. Mm -hmm. uh, Thanatosis, one of the it was came out earlier on, had the ability to target limbs, but piecemeal combat really didn't start showing up in games. And when it does show up, it's usually in a supplement. Yeah. Normally, when you roll the hit, you just roll your d20, you roll or your 2d10 or whatever dice system you're using. You roll your dice, and it's just to hit your enemy. And typically, a cold shot is to the head. Yeah. You know, you can make cold shots, but cold shots don't delimb someone. You Google, oh, cold shot left arm. You still do damage to hit points. You don't, like, disable the left arm unless you're using, like, some specialty rules out of a, a book that came way later down the line. Which I gotta start looking up for, because <laughs> I would love to have piecemeal combat like that. Like, you had that incident where you uh, went to hamstring the giant. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the my intelligent space barbarian. Yeah, and it, you know, doing stuff like that, like, that is something where, like, oh, well, I, I'm a butcher, I, I know how to kill things, you know. That's where you could get that knowledge from, or, oh, I was a soldier, you know. I, I've seen a guy, when we were 
chopping wood one time because I'm a lumberjack, you know. And that's okay. Yeah. Stuff where you could legit do it and be like, no, I totally know that if this guy lost a leg, he's pretty far down. Yeah, actually, uh, when I first learned about piecemeal combat, I was still doing LARPing in the Glamorilla. Shit. Long fucking time ago. One of the other guys there, uh, really cool dude, and they had a thing in the rule books. It was really fucked up. You go up to your opponent, of course, it's, it's rock, paper, scissors at that time, and you walk up to somebody, you're like, oh, physical challenge. I'm targeting your leg with my gun. You make your bids, you you guys do your rock, paper, scissors, until you finally shoot the guy in the leg successfully, because it, <laughs> the game system was just shit. But anyway, you shoot him in the leg, and next time you go to attack him, you say, oh, physical challenge again. I'm shooting you in the other leg, and now I'm bidding lame against you. Mm-hmm. And because you bid lame against him, he has to throw more physical stats on top to counter the, what you're bidding. So it's a bid war. And you can do piecemeal combat to that point, to the, and you could actually shoot them in the limbs enough times that you could just declare lame against them, I believe it was twice. But they couldn't, if they already had lost a few games, or at that point most physical characters didn't have very much in stats anyway, you maxed out at 10... You pretty much had them at a disadvantage, so you could mm-hmm. just bid the shit out of them until they were physically incapacitated. Yeah. And piecemeal combat, for a dice system, doesn't really work that way, but it is... Uh, some games actually have it, and it's just like a nightmare. It's just... It adds on another level, and it's usually one of those things that's best done homegrown, like cold shots, you know, neg four, whatever limb you're targeting. Yeah. And if you hit, like, a limb, you're going for the leg, you slow their uh, speed down for two turns by X amount. Yeah. Typically. 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 Um, But, yeah, piecemeal combat. And I see why they don't do it very often. Because you can get janky as fuck with it. I attack the dragon's wings. No, that was uh, our pro wrestler friend. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. One of the classic tales. El Tiburon, shark of the land. El Tiburon, shark of the land. Spins the dragon's wings, yeah. <laughs> it's good maneuver. Good maneuver. Yeah, if you do piecemeal combat on certain creatures, then... And, of course, you got the GM who's going to counterbalance this. Mm-hmm. He's going to like, fine, you keep knocking out the legs from centaurs? Fuck you, you're fighting slimes. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, you're fi- uh, fighting sturges. Ready? Yeah. Fuck you, you're fighting a uh, gaseous fog. Trip that, biatch. Or our favorite, Will-O-The-Wisps. <laughs> oh, yeah, Will-O-The-Wisp. I actually had a party defeat one. I, uh... I just... Why? Why did somebody shoot an arrow at a Will-O-The-Wisp when it was way off in the distance, acting completely innocuous? They thought it was a mirror and decided to shoot it. Well, then who would shoot at a fucking mirror? Usually, if somebody sees a mirror in the distance when you're in a large field, we'd be like, oh, somebody's signaling for help. Yeah. Survival, that's what I would think. Not, let's shoot an arrow at the wounded guy. You remember who we're talking about. I know, I know. But yeah, I mean... I, I... I'm sorry. That's a bad, that's a bad memory. Don't, just, just let it die. We're, we're moving on. But yeah, I mean, that's a thing when it comes to trying to piecemeal combat, is it can really break a game where it's like, and the Colossus, and it's like... I'm going to take it out out of the shins. I'm going to take his legs out from under it. He's like, all right, keep attacking. I don't know. The only time I've tried piecemeal combat and it did not work successfully because piecemeal combat is a very valid fighting style. Mm-hmm. 
such as when you're fighting somebody who's in plate mail, and if we're looking at 1600s era plate mail, the back of the knees are not very well guarded. They are guarded, but just not very well. You have to make a very precise strike. Uh, the inside or a of the, strong enough strike. Or a strong enough strike, uh, same as the ankles, the groin, and underneath the armpits. Those are pretty much the only soft spots if you're looking at like 1600s era plate mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, plate mail did evolve over the, the, the few hundred years to where the, some of the sweet spots would just move around. It was weird. Uh, but if you try piecemeal combat, and I was doing one, and I did go for the back of the knee hit on an owlbear. It was just destroying the shit out of our party. And I'm fighting with a pair of axes. Mm-hmm. That was my deal. A big pair of fucking axes. I'm a forced psychopath. And I'm like, I run up, and I made a maneuver to, uh, it was a acrobatics check, mm-hmm. to, when it took a swing at me, to duck underneath its arm and move behind it. That's valid. That was my turn. You know, just because that's all I can do in six seconds is get behind it to keep, make a surprise attack somehow. Six seconds is a long time for a surprise. Anyway, I get behind it. I'm like, okay, cold shot, back of the leg, back of the knee. I'm going to go for a hamstring technique. And I just... Okay, anybody who's familiar with fighting techniques will roll their eyes at what I will say next because the GM looked at me with an honest look on his face. It wasn't sarcasm or any confusion or anything. It was an honest... Inquiry. It's mm-hmm. like, what's that? I'm like, I moved a hamstring him. GM, what's that? I, 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 I just, I knew what a hamstring was when I was 12. What the fuck? What can we say, bro? This new generation. Yeah, another way to break the game, too, especially um, in D&D. And it works in other games, of course. It works really well if you're playing Alessandra in 2nd Edition uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, you play a crippler. Yeah. You just play a straight-up just brute who grabs your opponent and just jostles them around like jello wrapped in skin till their bones start snapping underneath your weight. Uh, you just play a crippler, and there's just so many ways that you can just, like, fucking ruin a combat for the GM. If you get a hold of the enemy and then put him, like, into a pin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you pin the dude, put him in a four-leaf clover. Combat's pretty much over, and all you're doing is torturing the guy. Well, whatever. I don't care. I'm a grappler. You just play a straight-up grappler. Get a hold of your opponent and just put them in a submission maneuver. You know, just put them in a four-leaf clover or a double Nelson. If they can't, you know, get out of the double Nelson, there's something wrong. But if you get them into one of those... And they can't escape. You pretty much beat combat. What are you going to do beyond that point? Just have your buddies keep punching them in the stomach? Yeah. Uh, And, of course, uh, the piecemeal combat and limb-based combat work really well, especially if you're going like the kung fu monk kind of grappler. And you grab a hold of somebody's arm, you twist their wrist forward, put one hand on the back of the elbow, and then push really sharply and then make their elbow go 90 degrees the wrong way. Well, they're not going to be effective with that arm anymore. I'm sorry. No matter how many hit points they have... Yeah. You cannot swing a sword with your elbow bent 90 degrees the wrong direction. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Like, if you were able to kick someone's knee out, you know, make them backlock without meaning to. I'm sorry, but I, I've had that happen before. You can't walk on that leg for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Pizza. Oh. It's the tomatoes. Uh, and I think it's the pepperoni, actually. I told mm. you pepperoni. I didn't you. Know. 
Uh, it's not part of the podcast. They don't need to worry about my dinner habits. So, yeah, piecemeal combat is a great way to break the game from the player's side. Of course, getting really creative as fuck with any item creation feats. Or, of course, getting creative as fuck with any combat feats. There was a guy, he managed to find a way to break the rules. Uh, it was by the Gypsy's book out of Vampire Year of the Ally bullshit that they mm -hmm. had. And he could pull, like, 42 attacks per round. Mm-hmm. There's a rule specifically hard printed in there. You cannot take more attacks per round than you have either dexterity or stamina. He found a way to circumvent that rule so he could get 42 attacks per round. Mm -hmm. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck him in the neck. So I did one thing. And then, of course, the GMs and a lot of players really hate this rule and seem to forget about it as quickly as they can. Yeah. GMs do not forget about it because GMs have that one rule that trumps all other rules. I make shit up. Exactly. The GM can throw rules out, modify rules on a whim or whatever for the sake of storyline and or game balance. So when this guy tried that 42 attacks per turn shit, I let it fly for the first game because it caught me off guard. I'm like, how the fuck did you do this? I looked at the numbers. They were all legit. And then, you know, the next game session came along. He tried the same shit. I'm like, I'm sorry. That was just, you know, the... The spirits of the world have balanced shit out. And he's like, well, you can't do that. It's according to the book. And I'm like, well, according to GM, according to this page in this book over here, I can do whatever I want with the rules. And everybody else at this game table, all 10 of these other people can't take more attacks per turn than their stamina or dexterity. You're under the same rule now, too. The, the, the spirits of the world have spoken. It's right here on this page. The GM can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, or as I had to make the elf have to sleep... Yeah, it's still the requisite four hours, but remember, fuck elves. Knife-eared sons of bitches. Fucking lily skin, knife-eared fucking... As you little goblins like to say, around elves, watch yourselves. Right. <laughs> Do elves creep you out? My local, go my, uh, local gun store has a solution. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, elves. I mean... Jesus. Ugh. <sighs> Uh, that combined with the pizza. Bad taste in my mouth right now. Thank you. Elves. But yeah, that that's definitely a thing is, you know, sometimes a GM, in order to make everything equal and fair and work, they have to m be able to manipulate the rules for good or for ill. As a GM, you can do that, which breaks the game, as I might have with my whole magic items and magic people and creatures explode in a big hurrah of magic. Well, if you're looking for a way to power game, if you really truly want to break the game, number one, you're going to have to get fluent with the rules to mm. some degree. You're going to have to... Uh, I would suggest even playing a few rounds of chess. Just a completely unrelated game to the game you're playing. Play some chess. Play it until, you know, you feel comfortable taking on somebody at your local library kind of shit. Because when you look at a chessboard, you're like, okay, if I move the king this direction then his bishop may move this or he may move this pawn over here but if i move my rook then he may move the queen or this pawn or this pawn over here you start seeing how the pieces on the playing board are going to respond however you move and vice versa and so when you start looking at your game book you're going to apply the same kind of thinking well if i apply this feat to my character how's the gm going to respond or how the other player is going to respond or does this feat really work really well within the limits of the storyline of the type of game I'm playing? I, If I take a political feat 
it's really a bad move on my part if I'm playing a dungeon crawl. Yeah. You know, so you look at the way things work and, of course, look at the way different feats will interact with each other. There's really good chains of feats that look like they shouldn't be put together, but they work really well together. Yeah. Um, So you go into that uh, method, especially like Vital Strike and Tripping. Don't look like they should go together, but they can actually be really effective if done right. Secondly, for power gaming, you're going to need time to read. Yeah. Go onto the interwebs. And there are some really phenomenal uh, guides out there. Like, there's one for a Turbo Monk right now who has a speed that's, like, over 200. Mm-hmm. Just starting. Yep. And just like, what the shit? There, there's a, another one that's, like, a Slime Barbarian build that's just... The Oiled Wrestler. It, oh, it is fucking gross. The build is just beyond gross. And I'm looking at it, I'm just checking the numbers. I'm like, this person obviously has some spare time. And third... Don't be afraid to get creative. Oh, yeah. yeah if, you're, if you're looking at the power game, get creative. Think outside the bun. You know, like piecemeal combat, most books don't have that. But if you pull this one out of your back pocket at the right time, the rest of the group will think that you're a goddamn hero while the GM has to go along with it to continue the storyline. So in a hamstring here and there, or a vital uh, shot, you know, called shot to, uh, say, a major artery on the inside of the thigh at the right time... Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if your enemy has 110 hit points. They're going to be dead in under 90 seconds. Yeah. And the first 30 of that is pretty much the only time they're going to realize that they're going to die. Mm-hmm. So, you know, piecemeal combat has its times. You know, get fluent with combat styles from around the world in fantasy and in real life. And learn how to blend this in. And once you get all three of these things down, the ability to predict a good knowledge base and some nonlinear thinking to go on top of that, you can pretty much do anything and... There's a fourth secret to that, especially in D&D, I'm not going to reveal. It's too powerful. Uh, Blasphemous has heard about this one. He knows I'm not bullshitting. Yeah, um, I fear him. This is how I build Veritex, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, without breaking the kingdom. Without breaking the kingdom, yes. This is how I, I build Veritex. This is how I build spaceships. This is how I build orbital nuke Ooh, platforms. Here's a fun the one. The fourth secret that uh, allows me to build just death on a stick... Or even just a simple one uh, they had to put up with when I was telling about my uh, chain link sorcerer. That build alone at first level. Oh no, it's third level is when that one kicks off. Uh, at third level, my chain mail sorcerer is nigh undefeatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much, I think only Cthulhu showing up can fuck that one's day. Or a kaiju. Yeah. A kaiju could slow him down. Might actually. Yeah, that'd be a pretty even fight at that point. See a halfling go against a kaiju like Godzilla and, you know be toe-to-toe with him the whole battle that's fucked up yeah actually it'd be like face to toe but still uh so the fourth secret on this one i'm not going to reveal because it is obviously too powerful especially in D settings uh but do you have anything to add to that of adding a good knowledge base and being a bit creative and predictable for the most part to that I- i'm agreeing all around and that's because i've had to come up with some of this stuff myself or Talk to the people around you who play who aren't in the group or aren't your GM just to bounce ideas off of. Right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And and look for inspiration from everything. It doesn't matter if, oh, you're ripping that off from an anime. So? So is the warlock class when you start doing magical girl shit. Exactly. Um, but one of the things I was going to say is one of the great things to break a game, as a final thought, is flying ships. Once you can totally nerf traveling from whatever your GM can throw at you, unless they're starting to throw sky-based creatures, 
it, it really breaks a game. And if you can piecemeal together a flying ship, it's great. Uh, flying ships, actually, as far as being game-breaking, uh, they are game-breaking as fuck. Uh, I recommend that if a GM wants to include flying ships in their game, they include it as, like, a transport that has an extreme cost to it so that the average player would not be able to afford it until they get way up higher in the levels or only the most powerful of powerful people have one and they guard them things fucking jealously. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the game that I ran a while back, Skyships had a massive cost to them behind the scenes. The players were like, oh, we can have an airship, we can have an airship. And then they realized, you know, you actually have to have a spellcaster of a certain level actually be in like a special chamber that would like draw the magical energy out of them to fuel the ship and it actually caused physical harm to the person. And then we settled down for repairs on the ship, and I don't think we ever got back to it. Yeah, and then you guys settled down for repairs, but that, like, stopped the spellcaster in their seat from trying to take the damn ship, because they realized that it did con damage. Mm-hmm. So if they got into the, the chamber, they would be completely useless for adventures. Or you guys would have to park for a couple of weeks while they, like, restored themselves from the pain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, have, if airships can be really game-breaking, so there has to be a counterbalance when you introduce them, because if you don't have a counterbalance, players being players will just run rab and shot all over that shit. Like the one I've got, it's powered by the soul of a ancient white dragon who is stuck inside of an artifact, but it has to set down every 12 hours. And it rests for at least an hour. Hey, and sometimes his, it needs more. His wings get tired. Well, it's more that the magical energy coursing through everything could destroy the ship if they pushed it too hard. Oh my gods. <clears throat> and I just realized something. And here we go, bouncing ideas off of each other again. Put your players in a position where they can't rely on the ship for a little while by having somebody put like an anti-magic device on it. How does that interact with an artifact, though? I believe they are beyond those bounds. Uh, anti-magic locations actually uh, supersede artifacts in most cases. In most cases. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a, a null magic artifact would actually null magic. There's all the... Yeah, it gets up there. It's a lot of hooji weight. It's like uh, one of the things that makes a crafter of constructs super powerful is constructs are not uh, hit by null magic zones because they're considered creatures. Mm-hmm. Even if they're magically fueled creatures, you know, it's just, ah, you go ahead and send them into the non-magic zone, he'll fuck shit up. Yeah. And they still operate just fine, which is just disgusting. That is so wildly unbalanced. The only thing that, it, time and money, mm-hmm. time and money, that's the only thing holding back somebody from going, I build an army of death. Yeah. They're, they're, ugh, God. Ugh. Just... The rules are going through my head of how to, like, just... Jesus Christ, weaponizing uh, constructs. Time and money. If you're immortal, dude, don't worry about it. You'll just build an entire planet this one giant construct. And then defeat the Autobots. Because I am Unicron. That's right, dude. I should build one. <laughs> right on. Well, that's it from us here at the Blunt Force Gamers. Um, God... Yep. Now I've got ideas. I want to bust out a book and start writing. He's going to do it right after we shut down. And remember, uh, find us at bfgamershq.com. We've got a new website up. We're trying to blog weekly, stay on the ball. So any news, any sites, anything that you want to find us on, from any of our video channels to our audio channels, will be linked there. And I've actually got a challenge. Uh-oh. So any of our listeners who actually 
want to try and contact us, please do. We run it at the end of every episode. We've told you guys dozens of times where you can find us lately. And, uh... I don't know, let's say the first person to get to us about a story of when they broke a game. What, 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 should, what prize should we put up? You know what? <clears throat> I, will I will forego height requirements. Mm -hmm. And I will make them an honorary member of the Goblin Horde. And put their picture and a link to their Facebook or their Patreon. Social media. Or their social media site. They're, they're all requires their picture and a link. And I'll make them an honorary member of the Goblin Horde. And put them in their face. Immortalize it on our uh, Goblin Horde site. There we go. Uh, if you want to be known that you listen to us and you've got a great story about when you broke a game or how you want to break a game, send it to us and we will highlight you on our website for, what, six months? No, man. Once you're part of the Goblin Horde, you're one of us forever. There we go. So uh, that's it for us, everybody. This is Darth Blasphemous signing off. This is Game Goblin signing out. Colonel, it sounds like Liquid's trying to impersonate me on the Blunt Force Gamers podcast. Now I know how Master Miller felt, if he was alive.